You're listening to Raft City Radio, your underground, overwater home of the latest news about the Callisto 6. My name is Mitch, aka Kung Fu Panza, and with me I have... Laurent, designation P.A. Blackhawk. KC, aka Phoenix, P-H-E-L-N-Y-X. Az, aka Captain Tiny. Craig, aka VKM Spouch. And I'm Cater, aka Cater. A.K.A. Dingus. Oh, that was such a good Anton line. But moving on, we are discussing Season 2, Episode 12, or Issue 12, the season finale. Oh boy, guys, what did we all think? That was one hell of a season finale, that's for sure. And we also got a, I should let Az say it, you know, about cliffhangers. Oh! Oh, yeah, a panted clamble cliffhanger. A panted clamble cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh, my boy. Still can't say it. <laughs> you still can't say it. Oh, as bad as you messed it up. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I don't think anything will come close. I was surprisingly <laughs> ambivalent about this episode. I didn't hate it. That's an interesting mood. I think it is a very good horror episode. It has a lot to offer just in terms of a resolution to Tales of Story and a great sinister plot of them exploring a mystery on the moon i'm not sure how well it came off as the season finale and i think particularly given the angst around whether this show will return for season three it is reasonable to criticize it as maybe an end to the entire show and i think it is more unsatisfying on that level than it is as just an episode of media because as as an as purely as an episode of media i think it's excellent it's just when we get into what it represents in terms of the larger series that I think it struggles a little. Yeah. Mm, I think the main thing is that there wasn't much of a climax for our party. There was a climax for Earth. I definitely think, I think we should get into that. I think maybe it might be worth going through what happens and talking about the reveals that we are taking on along the way and then saying what we thought of it at the end because it might be easier to sort of bring it all together rather than talking about stuff now, which we haven't discussed. Yeah, that sounds good. So a majority of the first half of the episode was on the ship dealing with Tails. And this was kind of carrying over from the fact that it was revealed that Tails was on the ship the entire time. And we kind of 100% confirmed that it was Kylan that put Tails there. Oh yeah. And unsurprisingly, Lacey is able to friend the bad guy again. Lacey does the Lacey thing of being a Pokemon master. Uh huh. And we had some interesting interactions with kind of trying to bring a little bit more humanity to Tails. I think there's a huge amount of philosophy in this episode. It's like instantly they got into space and suddenly it became very Star Trek and very philosophical. Because lots of the stuff about kind of the question of whether or not it is necessary for Tails to understand the human experience of emotion in order to be considered human ultimately or a person in their own right is a really interesting question and one that kind of goes back to the origins of the Vulcan in Star Trek and this question of does feeling emotion separate us from things that don't feel emotion? Is that a superiority that we have and should we judge people who aren't emotional? It's a good way of giving out the highlight that way that Star Trek does where the aliens are humanity as well. Tales is another aspect of humanity not the very, very fun part, but more of the, I would say, sociopathic part. It's a pretty good depiction of a traditional sociopath who will have emotions 
about themselves but not about others and it gives it does bring up a question of tails's origin i still believe the idea that tails was an independent ai that got beyond its programming not that it was a consciousness that got trapped or anything like that but there is that question was tails a human before that kind of lost connection to humanity or or not i mean we'll get to that at the end of the episode (laughs) yeah i think tails to be honest is a great response to data in the next generation because of this idea of kind of trying to learn about emotion trying to understand pain trying to understand death it's a very sort of questioning childhood thing but it also relates to sort of data and i think there are lots of people who say of data he doesn't experience emotion in a human way but he does obviously experience emotion he can form attachments to particular members of his crew he can feel loss he doesn't feel those things in the way a human would feel those things but just because his reactions or his way of understanding that emotion is different doesn't mean it's not an emotional. And I think if you look at the way Tails responds to being accused of being human, which is to sort of sulk for a little bit, and Tails' interactions across really the whole of this episode demonstrate a deeply human side, despite the fact that they're superficially not capable of emotion. Well, I think it comes... It was a really interesting thing that I noticed after watching the episode of Game Master's Hall with Eric and Marquia talking about NPCs. And Eric said a big way that he kind of keys into an NPC is to identify what they're afraid of. And I think with Tails, it's more Tails doesn't understand what the concept of fear is, and as it's such a powerful emotion, trying to explore that and other powerful emotions. I completely disagree, because I think Tails' response to the botnet being wiped, by to being brought low and trapped the way that tails lashes out to lacy thinking that lacy has done it is a demonstration of fear yeah like fear is that is what fear is just because tails's way of having or feeling fear is different from the human way of having or feeling fear doesn't mean tails doesn't experience an analogous emotion that we should realistically call fear for yeah. just for simplicity's sake i think tails can feel fear i absolutely agree i was more saying on when it comes to and how tails functions is targeting these really powerful emotions and trying to understand them and experience them in their own way like grief and fear and then is shown this other side of friendship and happiness through Cass and Luma. And it's really interesting because I would argue Tails still doesn't understand that. Obviously there's a point where we switch from the Tales that we have known for two seasons to the Tales that we have at the end of the episode. But I think the conversations between Luma and Cass and Tails, and even the conversation with Anton and Tails, don't adequately explain friendship to Tails. I don't get the sense that Tails understands friendship by the end of those interactions. But I do get the sense that Tails is able to to demonstrate arguably more simplistic emotions like fear and anger. I think there's a possible explanation for that, though it probably ties back into the relevant into the revelations we have towards the end of the episode. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to tails. <laughs> Skirt a dark this side. This is my conspiracy theory. Tails is a Sith. That's like a really bad AU. Uh, this is this is the Tails Don't code. like, don't read! <laughs> but it's, that's actually, it is actually really interesting just to tie about for a second because there is a question of, it is fairly obvious to anyone watching the Star Wars universe that droids are sapient. They are capable of consciousness. They are people. They're just treated as slaves. And no one acknowledges that fact. 
so basically, one of the division, one of the arguable divisions between droids and other life forms in the Star Wars universe is that it is unclear whether or not droids can sense the Force. And so there's an argument that, from a pure Force-sensitive religious point of view, you could easily create a droid versus Force user conflict that was focused on the idea that droids aren't real life because they aren't connected to the Force, and the Force, in terms of religious um, doctrine, is what surrounds and pervades all life. And it's actually a really interesting sort of dichotomy, and it, it feeds back into this question of tales as a Sith, because there is no extant example of any Star Wars-based droid or artificial intelligence being capable of wielding the Force, because there is a significant divide between artificial and organic intelligence, quote-unquote, in Star Wars, which is about the Force. That is true. So, there it is. It's canon in Kato's world that Tails is a Sith Lord. No, like, it, it would be basically impossible for Tails to be a Sith no, Lord. No, that, that's current. what I learned from your statement, and I'm not <laughs> changing that. Tails is a cool. Sith Lord. what I'm learning is that you don't listen, which is also useful information. Okay, cool, got it. What did you say? You, you only just learned <laughs> that today? Now, now, children. Now, now, <laughs> children. So, like, uh, moving forward, uh, we did mention the kind of Tails being in what is essentially wiped out from the dark by hundreds of hackers, which I thought was incredibly interesting. Very interesting. I'd love to have kind of seen that. And great great planning and work by Nystraw. I mean, sure, their motives were hardly um, pure and for the good of humanity, but um, good work, though. Tails is a big kind of threat lurking there, which Tails could have screwed over a lot of things. So they took Tails down. Mm. I do think it's interesting because it sets up the... It establishes the point at which anyone else could defeat Lacey. Mm. And it is a combined attack by at least hundreds, if not thousands, given that we know Lacey is capable of overcoming Tails in technology terms. So, you know, that's quite good as a baseline. (laughs) What do you need to do to hurt this hero? It it would be like taking a person down with thousands of ants effectively mm. Mm. it's also it's also questionable because Lacey's connection with and interaction with the dark and the internet as a whole is much more hands-off and it, it would be interesting to see whether anyone could undo Lacey's presence in a system in the same way they can with Tails because Tails lives in the code quote-unquote whereas Lacey just has a psychic connection with the code and to what extent those are different is unclear. I think the ability to disconnect is a major thing. Like, if Lacey knew someone was attacking them, they could just completely disconnect. Mm. Assuming, you know, disconnecting wasn't going to end up with people dying yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, uh, Lacey wasn't able to disconnect when Tails was uh, with them in the... Uh, was, it, was it in the bar that one time? Yeah. Yeah, in the water sprite. Mm. Yeah. Luma had to go in and grab Lacey. Yeah. But they're... But that's They're one roughly... massive super entity. Yeah, but poten- potentially, mm-hmm. if you get thousands of hackers, they might be able to do something similar. Who knows? I I think like the most sensible countermeasure against Lacey is just physical. Yeah, the, that's the the main countermeasure against Lacey is going non-technical. Yeah. But yeah, but it is very interesting to see kind of Lacey is often considered on par with Tails as a technological mind. Even I think. They have both overcome the other at various points. And um, I think it's very interesting to establish that hundreds of people are required 
to reach either of them on a technical level, which is actually quite a strong statement of both of their powers. Dozens of whom died to kill Tails. Yeah, 33. That is dozens. Nearly three dozen, in fact. Yeah. Oh. 2.75 dozen. Thank yeah, you, exactly. Craig, for your support. You're welcome. You nerd. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the, the most interesting thing that happened with the relating to Tails came with the revelation of David Ree and who Tails was before they were Tails. See, this is where I think it's quite... Is it is it ambiguous as to, is David Ree the human body of Tails? Or did he just write the code that became Tails? I think or it's... is his consciousness implanted in the system as Tails? Like, it, I don't feel like the end of the episode really gave us an answer to that. We obviously know that David is connected to the data. He is, his brain was being uploaded. Like, that's no question. But whether or not David Ree is Tails is, I think, ambiguous from what we got. I believe that if David Ree is part of Tails, it is only recently. Because I still think that Tails is something of a remnant from before C-Date. I disagree. We, we I have no like evidence to towards that. that. Yeah. See, I think the way that Tails talked about Ree... And the way that once combined into a single consciousness, they, he, identified himself as a single entity, not as two separate entities. I am much more of the mind that Re is the source of Tails, and that Tails is the result of a partial upload of Re's consciousness onto the net. Because that is the Occam's Razor most straightforward (laughs) explanation we get in this episode. It also agrees back to some of the things that Eric used to describe Tails's code as being um, broken and having parts missing, which would be explained by the upload being interrupted when Bree was attempting to get his mind uploaded. God, that's a very weird thing to say. It um, is. I think it's it an is. alignment of all of the evidence about Tails we've been provi- provided with up until this point. Tails only appeared after... The C6 got their powers? No. It, it, no. So it does actually get confusing as a timeline, and we do have to talk about that separate from this. Yes, definitely. Um, because the the moment of David Ree's death is massively, massively ambiguous and actually incredibly contradictory. But from the point of view of Tails being an incomplete source, Tails saying, I am on the other side of that door. Lacey, I know I'm here. I remember these people. I knew them. And then the sort of... The action of combining Tails with what remained of Re, making Tails complete in a way that, to me, read as being a, a perfect match and a perfect integration of two halves of a puzzle, rather than an imperfect integration of two things that didn't quite fit, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also um, from a perspective of identifying themselves as Tails, it's... would this is a personal opinion someone who is like an og hacker someone who pioneered hacking technologies would be so associated with something like tails that that would be like a thing that would present itself as a potential name as a character i like distinct from the plot of the episode which we're gonna have to get into but like as a character this is a great end for tails this is a beautiful development from the entity that Lacey first met in the dark in season one to 
a sort of a sense of healing and bringing home that allows us to be satisfied that the C6 have tried their best to help this individual and have helped them and that this individual has been left in a state that they are happy with and has been given kind of the ending that they want and isn't forced to live out an eternity as a piece of broken code yeah to full com- in in the cheesiest way possible the story is complete <laughs> and they lived happily ever after well they didn't they, they died instantly they were happily until the end i mean I, so they lived ha- I, arguably I, they were already dead I, arguably they were already dead and died more and they died happily ever after thank you <laughs> i also kind of think it's interesting that tales generally seemed interested in seeing people die trying to understand what pain is and also seem to be able to experience fear as as you pointed out kato all these things would have been almost certainly prominent in david Rees's mind at the point he was uploading his own mind because he had seen his colleagues being killed by fawn and the others so he's seen people die he's undoubtedly he's going to be afraid of what's happening he's experienced he probably experienced a fair amount of pain in his um death so all that quite possibly would have been transferred into tales at that time as well mm. also probably an intense sense of revenge of when i get when i upload myself and get back down to earth i'm going to kill kylan kraus yeah but that doesn't really come across in tales of i know to be fair but then he's corrupted so that, that's a bit of a stretch let me have fun kato <laughs> or just you know i mean you're you're 100 valid it was a bit of a stretch she's reaching your honor i also like the fact that at one point you when tails gets up put back into his david Rees body and uh again one entity essentially all the organic parts of david Rees is dead and you're just left with the cybernetic bits which would make david Rees at that moment a cybernetic zombie it was super borgy i, lo- I was digging it yeah i i, I, I love that of course you did you creep yeah. <laughs> Do we need a pencil snap? No, I think we're okay. I think we're okay, because this was actually a positive borging. Mm. I also think it's really interesting that, to the last, this person who identifies as Dr. E, ultimately, to the last, Dr. E is not a great person as far as respecting boundaries and consent and stuff. So, like, quite early in this episode, we see, basically, the horror that is having your mobility taken away and taken over by an entity Mm. that you think is, at best, neutrally disposed towards you, and at worst, actively trying to get you killed. And I think it's very interesting that that is... You can see that carry through to the fact that David Rhee is like, I'm essentially going to experiment on you more and expose you to potentially fatal doses of a thing that I don't really understand. Again! without asking and without kind of seeking permission because i think that is basically one of the things we can say that is in character for him the entire way through yeah tails is the worst tm dr re is the worst because this is a bodily autonomy violation that is is done enacted by the entire creature so we can say that it is not just a feature of tails the broken piece of code that is part of dr re but we can say that it is actually true of dr re himself he also is bad at consent that's true. I just had an interesting thought that potentially Tails was Dr. E's internet screen name. 
And that's yeah. why Tails went by Tails, because that's, to the internet world, what David Ree was. It was his hacker name. Yeah. Oh, I did. That's a, that's, I'm, I'm happy with that idea. Whether it's true or not, oh. I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, look at uh, Luma. Their tiger name is Moth. And then we have Cobalt, which is actually a tiger name. I, what was Cobalt's actual name? I want to know. I can't remember offhand. It was mentioned in the very in the first episode where he's brought back from Mile of Phase. Was it? It doesn't matter right doesn't now. Doesn't matter right now. So uh, I think yeah, I think ultimately I really like the conclusion to Tails' story. I think it's a great resolution to that plot. It leaves us with a lot of questions and a lot to meditate on about what life is and the nature of personhood and how much of you has to be left before you are a different entity and lots of other great questions but when i try and fit it into the broader plot of Callisto 6 i come up against a couple of logistical problems yo what the fuck happened so like just when yeah. did it happen i, I want to have someone explain the timeline and give exact dates no so the problem is the timeline doesn't work yeah exactly <laughs> but but the thing is the timeline doesn't work we also have someone who can go back in time and change things <sighs> yeah yeah but not working on this side. So, if you look at the timeline as it stands now, Fawn comes up, kills everyone on the station, which is also horrifying, and, like, quite a lot of the build of the first half of this episode is just them finding out horrible things. I'm sad we never got to see Fawn. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. But anyway, so Fawn comes up, st- kills everyone, takes a canister of S- Callisto 6 energy, right? Yeah. And another one is, is kept by David Ree and hidden, and Fawn kills David Ree, or David Ree dies in the incursion, protecting that secret of the second entity. Yeah. This is alleged to have happened in the last six weeks as a result of the uh, outcome of Measure Z. It was an unplanned launch that happened in the last six weeks. That's how everyone died. That's when this happened. It happened after they tried to break out Jerome Blair, after the Measure Z vote. That's theoretically when this happened. Right? Uh, maybe? Maybe. Okay, well that's that is that is what is posited on screen. Yeah. The next thing that happens is that Eric says that it happened shortly after the convention, which was how long ago? Maybe like significantly before the Measure Z vote. Yeah. And like David Ree's death has to happen at that point, soon after the convention, in order to create tales early enough for Lacey to first encounter them in season one. Yes. So that suggests a timeline where there are two unofficial launches to the moon one after the convention in early season one and one after the vote in early season two on one of these launches the first of these launches we don't know who attacks the base but david redies protecting the first the the one canister of callisto six energy on the second launch fawn comes up and kills everyone and takes another canister i don't understand why those two events are separate but it's the only way to make the timelines work yeah and i i didn't get the sense from eric's narration of oya's time flashbacks that we were meant to interpret that two separate things had happened i think honestly i think it's just a a essentially a clerical error potentially like i don't think that this was intentionally made for us to think about too hard i think they've genuinely just messed up a bit with the timelines time travel's hard to do Boy, did Eric misjudge this show. Time travel's so hard. This shouldn't be time travel. There's no evidence of time travel in this 
thing. It should be very easy to flash back to a single event. You should know roughly when that event happened. And I, I don't know. I'm curious about whether this has all happened because of the the Nat 1 last episode. Because if there hadn't been a Nat 1, maybe Tails wouldn't have been on the ship at all. Maybe David Reed would have been somewhere else on Earth rather than here. Maybe this would have come out differently, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. But it just, it's kind of frustrating because I think, I don't know, I, I think sometimes we spend the whole season trying to work out what's going on. And the mysteries are great and they're really exciting and we want to know the answers. But when the answers are confusing, it makes them more unsatisfying because we end up going, wait, but how did that work? Rather than, oh, that was the piece of the puzzle that sorts it all out in our minds. And I think I'd prefer more straightforward mysteries where the answer is more obvious over confusing mysteries where even once you've been shown all the pieces, you don't understand what happened. The key to the lock was another lock. And it was just a little bit weird. But I think amongst that not making sense, we had a couple of interesting flashbacks and kind of throwbacks. So you did already mention Oya manipulating time and doing that thing where she can experience what happened. Where some interesting times of seeing Amanda Reese gunned down by Fawn. Which is weird that she gunned her down instead of using sound powers, but that's probably because of the sound waves in space not being real good. Yeah, and also you don't really want to break the base that is keeping you alive. That's fair. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was overpenetration worries with the That's a sound bad stuff. word, Laurent. That's a bad word. Although... It's a technical term. <laughs> although that... Um, that oh, what show is that from? Not a good, not a good enough reason to <laughs> nope. use the word penetration. Never a good enough reason to use <laughs> No, it's from ballistics, oh. man. <laughs> uh, it's from the science of ballistics. Right, right, of course. Yes, we've all been wondering about Fawn and their identity now. I'm putting on my tinfoil hat this time. Give that back. Casey is Fawn. But we know what Fawn looks like. Yeah, and it does not match Casey. Okay. Oh. Unless, unless of course, Casey's currently referring to himself just now. (gasps) Casey. But here's the thing. Moonlight had... Uh, holographic projectors. What I, if I, I, Fawn I, has a holographic projector to project a different image? I don't think Lacey wouldn't have noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm shooting down my own theories. Hey, that's always a good thing. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, Plus, I actually have to say something in this episode. So. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. So, the answer to the penetrate comment was that it came from Pitch Perfect. Still okay. not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. <laughs> okay. Kato. So, I really like the use of Oya this episode, and I think it's worth just taking the time. Yes, it's a really good way to get us emotionally invested in what happened to these people, but particularly by the time we get to Anthony Hollis, the bioengineer, who actually, we get to speak to him, and we get to hear him, in his own words, say, avenge this, essentially. I really, really enjoy just Oya's rage her response to all of this pain, even to the death of the sort of the proto-Sal, the shambling mound creature that was reanimated by Callisto-6 energy. It is really great to just watch Elisa emote rage in a way that she didn't when she was a Vulcan. And I really appreciate how Oya's powers are feeding into Elisa's RP at these moments. I think Elisa, this series, has been my MVP on the acting front for moments like this. And I think part of it is because she's in such stark contrast to S.H.I.E.L.D. But I 
I think she's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful scene. And I think, again, the ability to feed extra knowledge organically because of someone's superpower is such a valuable thing to have as a DM or GM. Because you can, when Oya jumps in, like, I want to know more. And the GM is just like, yes, excellent. <laughs> and the fact that it only costs one point is just like, mm, please. Yeah. And it's just essentially a speak with dead, which was kind of interesting to see that skinned into this game. Mm, it was really cool. Uh, and I think It's a very useful that, spell. Yeah, the abstract nature of Cypher, yeah, being that it would maybe be a spell in a fantasy setting. Uh, and it was really, really goddamn cool. And I felt really bad for the proto-Sal creature kind of going on a rage and I think protect, trying to protect everyone from Fawn. It is unclear. It's again, so unclear what happened. The whole, like, what, like timelines. Get timelines don't make, we're not getting Ho- back into hopefully that. Hopefully Lacey cause... will just download all the logs and yeah. we'll find out exactly the exact timeline of everything. Give me that black box. Yeah. So I think moving away from the base and Tails, we can hone in on what happened to our six. So I think... The finale is all about kind of like reaching greater powers, but I also think there's like a specific moment earlier in the episode, which is another example of kind of great power being offered but refused. I think we should just touch on that kind of thematically as we're building, which is when Lacey reaches out to the entire planet and gets briefly tempted by a sort of transhuman becoming like a fundamentally cosmic technological entity that could control literally everything that happens in computers just by their psychic powers in that realm basically lacy being tempted to become tails in a way yeah like it, it, it's great for the parallels between lacy's choice versus david Ree's choice and the difference in david Ree kind of not having any future apart from in the cloud because his body was dying uh and lacy having all of this future and having people to go back for and kind of being able to reject the evolution because Lacey feels like there's more in humanity. Mm, it's really interesting. It's that, that kind of capacity for emotion that Lacey on the surface is maybe hard to read. They have such empathy. Mm. I think it, it works really well as well because Lacey obviously struggles with some elements of being human obviously struggles with kind of the physical body and the limitations of their physical body. And I think of all the characters, they are most profoundly open to being tempted by being asked the question, what if you could leave all of those limitations behind? What if we could erase them for you? And I like that Lacey chooses not to. And I think it is a beautiful and powerful choice to say, yeah, my body is bad in some ways and at some times, and I can't eat certain foods and I get overwhelmed by noises, but... I still like what it provides and I still want it. It's a profoundly human choice to choose imperfection over perfection just for the comforts of the support that you get as a human being. It was a really awesome moment and just amusingly, apparently Brexit didn't destroy the UK. Still a major economy. Still a major economy. Nailed it. Slow. 100 years later. Yeah, this is because in like 20 years. Now we Brexit know this is worked. fiction. Brexit I thought this may happen. Yeah, I was about to say, but in this in this in this scenario, Brexit happens, and in twenty years, there's a socialist Labour government who practically beg the EU to come back. Oh God, that is a nightmare. 
Uh, Moving on. I just that's why. Before we move on, briefly before we move on, I I do want to say I think for all that I really value Oya, and I think Oya has so much more potential to become the main character. I really appreciate how much Lacey is the star of this episode. How much this episode is about Lacey's conflict with a very Lacey-centric enemy, and that. Eric has kind of managed to sneakily make Sam into a spotlight character in extra bits and is kind of sneakily pushing Sam towards being a more pivotal character in moments like this. Because I know that Sam doesn't necessarily seek that number one spotlight. And so Eric's like, aha, but I've made this amazing role-playing choice. Now live in it. It's like the way that Eric deals with people who want to support the other players 100% of the time is just be like, no, you are getting supported. You are going to be amazing. <coughs> Amy. Which, which, I'm Amy. Which is bad you get GMing. support. You get which is support. Bad GMing. If someone just wants to be the support character all the time, I think you can just let them do that. I, I don't think it's that they want to be the support character the whole time. It's that they don't want to overshadow other people by being in the spotlight. Mm, yeah. I'm like, both of those things are valid. I'm just saying that like, what Eric is doing is providing players who don't necessarily push for moments in the sun with moments that are so perfect for them and so about what they're about as players that it doesn't feel like they're taking the spotlight so much as they're just engaging with something that really interests them. Here is your silver platter, sir. Yeah, that's just, that is different from forcing someone who doesn't want to be in the spotlight in the spotlight, and we should definitely not frame it as that. Yes. Because that is bad GMing. Like, please don't... And that kind of situation does come from really knowing your players. Mm. Mm. I think Eric does have these these players down to a T. But yes, it was... It's always fun to watch these guys interact and the way that Eric has manipulated the story and engaged each of the characters in their own unique ways has been an absolute pleasure to watch. So we got some boosts this episode. Everybody up a tier. Everybody up a tier. Sam probably up like seven tiers, but that like that's no, not yeah. possible. Every, everybody up one tier. Yeah. Most people up from three to four. Some people up to, from four to five. You can just people... say Sam. No, I. <laughs> I think that yeah. is unfair because we know Elisa at least was already like tier three earlier. Like we we've seen a lot more people than just Sam progress in terms of levels. It would be dismissive of us to say that Sam was the only person that had got to five. It may be true, but I think it's also probable that some of the others did. Like it is statistically likely that at least one other person got to five. You think you think Anton managed to get up to three? Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no one has spent experience for like weeks. Yeah. It's Maybe true. they listened to our show and listened to us. They were like, we should roll insight checks. And Once. I'm so proud of them. They one did it brackets, one, one, one bracket, insight one checks. My boy Anton. So, like, yeah, the me- mechanically they have all leveled up and that's great. But I think more interesting is kind of what this means narratively and even just the description of what happens to them, how overwhelming and alien it is. The way Eric kind of varies up sensation between sort of pressure and sound to like heat and light and pain with the fire to sort of thunder, which is also like vibration and sound to like the silence is a beautiful moment that I think really encapsulates just how chaotic this experience was and how impactful it is. Hey, Kato, this is incredible. This is all amazing. But the important thing is that Cass is Superman. She can fly, no. which is amazing. Cass is Captain Marvel. No, Cass is not Captain Cass Marvel. is nowhere near Captain Marvel. <laughs> she doesn't have energy beams. Cass is Superman. They are photon blasts, Kato. Yeah. How dare you? 
Photon blasts are a subsection of energy beams. They're not beams, they are blasts. They're pulses. <laughs> we will not get into a concussive slash laser blast argument again. Again? When did this happen? Oh, just but just talking about Cyclops because he's a... You fucking nerd. nerds! You both deserve a swirl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care I don't. about, like, anything. That's fair. But... <laughs> Well, let's just say the cast can now go higher, further, faster. Anyway. <laughs> Good description. I, I, like, I, I genuinely, like, it's very interesting because there's loads of implications, not just for Cass and for Cass being able to fly, which is great. Everyone is able to breathe in the vacuum of space and glows. Te- technically, you're not breathing if you're in the vacuum of space. You're just, I guess, holding your breath. Well, no, they seem to be able to breathe. Do you think that's the Callisto Six energy that's surrounding them, protecting them, though? Because I Eric, did, I think so. Eric did describe it as completely surrounding them. So either like, are they in some kind of weird energy shell, or are they all functionally able to survive in space now? I suspect the latter. I'm pretty sure it's the energy. I think this is an offshoot of what happened when Luma healed Hops and being able to manipulate the energy at a more uh, controlled level and kind of in a way, going Super Saiyan and protecting themselves with an aura. Yeah, because there are decompression concerns that happen with going from the environment of the station to a hard vacuum, and that didn't happen to happen. I think we just we need to accept, Laurent, that they should be dead. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, they've all got superpowers, and whether or not it's just the ambient superpower or it's their personal superpowers... They are surviving in a s- environment that shouldn't sustain them. Mm. Moonlight is also doing that, Moonlight and also... Moonlight has got a first juicing of this magical energy source. Super science magical energy juicing, and I'm really excited to find out what, where, how her magic powers manifest. But guess what? Other people have powers too. Oh, oh no! The, the true heroes of the episode—they yes. saved I the mean... world. Hashtag sarcasm. No, in in a very literal sense, they do in fact save the world. Like, if if we accept the argument, which is like we have to because it's the only truth we've lived in all season, that if they did not stop Fletcher, the world would end. Yeah, the corporation saved the world. Bravo. They're the ones that killed Fletcher. They saved the world. Welcome back to the status quo. No, like in this status quo, like the status quo was that the corporations are evil. The corporations have moved from evil to grey. Because they have just saved the world. Like, that is a huge moral shift. They may not have intended to do it, but in terms of just, like, their impact on society is so much more positive now than it was literal moments ago. I, You see, I, I would dispute whether they've moved from evil to grey just because they saved the world. It, it, saving the world is also an act of self-preservation because no world, no Nystral, no Pyramid Star no Traeger, no yeah. Cassium. That it's, it's, it's a very clear act of self-preservation here. The, the, it's not necessarily a heroic thing. So, yes, it's a good thing, undoubtedly a good thing, but it's not necessarily any shift in their sense of morality. I mean, I think, I think we can say that they are better for the world than they were a couple of days ago. Because a couple of days ago, all they did was, you know, oppress people. Now they oppress people and keep the world li- existing. 
Like, that is a huge up in terms of the services the corporations provide to us. That That is true. By keeping the world existing, they still get to exert control. And they uh, yeah, did their it. motivations. Let me let me get this in before I forget. Uh, what I'm saying is, yes, they saved the world, but they didn't really do it to benefit everybody. It's because they were saying you know, they're tired of being slaves and that. They did it more for themselves to set themselves free than the other billions of people on the earth. It was more selfish than than altruistic. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. First of all, wanting not to be a slave is a perfectly valid thing, and we should not dismissively go, oh, they just wanted not to be slaves. How selfish of them. Because that is unfair. They may be horrible people, but they have a right not to want to be slaves. Right. I'm, uh... To be fair, we only really know the motivations of one of them. No, we don't know the motivations of any of them. We know that one of them is a bad person to talk to, and annoying. Yeah. That doesn't mean we understand his motivations. Okay, we can estimate based on our interactions with Kylan that his motivations are almost entirely selfish. Well, we could if we had done an inside check. If we'd done we an inside check, so. but we hadn't. We did an inside check, Kato. Me and you. No, we didn't. We don't have the ability to we did that the inside check, Kato. mechanics. I spent the, the points. It's okay. I've got a big intellect pool. Mm. Honey, <laughs> you didn't. You're deluding <laughs> yourself. But the other three... We don't know them, well, and we don't know their motivations. We should point out we also don't know that all three of them are oh, there. Oh, the other because, three. Yeah. Uh, D- Darius and Gabriella were on screen with Kylan. Ran was unseen, but that doesn't necessarily mean she was absent. She was bu- she was busy in Adelaide. Well, given that basically they might have been injecting themselves with unrefined C six energy from the moon, because we have no idea how and when it's refined. Um, and then also giving themselves energy from harvested from a dying Fletcher. It is quite likely you'd want your medical person, you know, doing something about making that safe. But she also is the one who was most loyal to Fletcher overall, so there's also a possibility that she didn't turn with the other two. My question is, given how much Fletcher has been built up over the series, how he has been made into literally, or has been described as a literal interdimensional alien being as old as, like, you know, arguably as old as the universe... Is stabbing him really going to kill him? Like, realistically, is he actually dead? That did I know Oya felt like, felt something dying, but it's a very anticlimactic ending for something that everyone has been afraid of. If this is really how they could kill Fletcher, why did they wait so long to do it? I have a feeling that this is more of Fletcher giving plans within plans. I am not convinced that Kylan and company are free completely from Fletcher's influence. I am going to fall on the side of Fletcher being dead. Um, A, because it's the simplest explanation and I don't have time for conspiracy theories. Uh, B, because Moonlight was able to give a positive identification on the Grey Alien as being Fletcher, and more so than anyone but Kylan, Moonlight should know. In fact, more so than Kylan, Moonlight should know. Um, And Oya felt something happening in the time stream that was kind of deathy and gave it a final note. I think the reason it seems cheap and easy is that our heroes didn't get to do it. It was done by other people, and it made them very passive in what should have been their own story. I think that's kind of why it feels cheap. I I mean, even if they'd got to stab him, I think it would have been quite anticlimactic. You would... 
there's the way Fletcher has been built up to be this like terrifying thing that can't be killed if all it took was to rip him out of like some weird life support and stab him it's 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 satisfying in that you can this this thing that you're so scared of has is just it's a bit like um Voldemort from Harry Potter he is so scary that people won't say his name and in the end when he dies he is literally just a man so it's quite humanizing in a way even though he's an alien so humanizing in quotes but at the same time there's you ex- i expected there to be a big showdown with fletcher and that never happened and as someone who's arguably been a scarier threat and a scarier villain than someone like jerome who literally killed one of the people of the callisto six and almost killed one of the others this feels very off kilter yeah, I, and I think I I'll agree with that. It it, it just you know it you have the you have this build up, and you're thinking you know Fletcher is like on a on a par with say Galactus or Cthulhu or or something extremely extremely powerful, and it's stab steel energy done. Yeah, a chap a, one I, chap I with a knife could have done it. I hope it's more of a plans within plans type thing. Mm, I, I, I hope That's so too. That's what I'm hoping. And maybe, maybe if we do get a season six, which I hope we do, we'll see I that mean, season start. Season six is a great place to aim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, season so, six. I, there we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> season six and then the film. <laughs> one thing I want to interject is we've actually never seen Fletcher do anything. And we may have just had a bit of a Wizard of Oz situation here. Yeah, that that's kind of why I'm like, this is a a good thing, but also it feels quite unsatisfying. So mm. again, I, it's that it's that Voldemort Wizard of Oz complex where you've got this huge, terrifying presence that actually just turns out to be uh some something that can be killed. Although I they do, don't yeah, kill but Harry had to do a bunch of shit before that could happen. Yeah, but I think that yeah, like, I think the reason that we're like, this is so unsatisfying, we didn't have to do anything to achieve it, is it's not the players doing it. Yeah. Mm. Like, it is It is the result of presumably months of work by Kyland and co to take Fletcher down that we haven't seen. And that feels unsatisfying because we're used to the players being active in these kinds of situations. And I think, like, particularly given this entire season was a build to, we'll go to the moon, we'll defeat Fletcher on the moon, and we might die in the process... To have Fletcher be defeated somewhere else and by people that aren't the players and to have like literally no player input in that outcome whatsoever, I think feels very unsatisfying because it is, it it feels like the players don't matter in some ways. Like giving Tails a good death where Tails is reunited with the person that he used to be and can become David Ree and let go is great, but it isn't a good finale to this season, which has been about defeating Fletcher and stopping Fletcher and taking Fletcher down. A good finale to this season is the thing that the corporations do, is taking Fletcher down. And I think that that is why it feels so unsatisfying. If they had got to the moon and had to fight Fletcher, we would have maybe felt more satisfied with the outcome because the players would have actually done something and made some choices. Absolutely. And I think there is something that we need to raise and whether it was unintentional or intentional... And that is the fact of a live-streamed murder. Yeah, this is the one thing that made me really uncomfortable. And literally, in the last month, we had somebody walk into a mosque and live-stream the massacre of over 50 people. And 
there have been other on Facebook and on Twitter people there have been murderers literally that go and kill people and film it and put it on the internet for everybody to see for public viewing these things happen in real life and they are very at the moment very personal and very close to home and particularly from a in like general public perspective in 2120 nobody knows who fletcher is no one in the general public knows what they're doing all they're seeing if this is being streamed to the public from whatever news feed this was they are seeing the head of corporate la plus the other two heads of corporate la throwing a helpless being onto the floor and murdering it and that is regardless of their intention regardless of the outcome that is traumatic on so many levels and it is horrific and i get that yes they are awful people but at the same time i was very very uncomfortable and very upset mm. and i i did not like it at all and i understand why it was done but at the same time that is a trauma that nobody needs to experience and nobody should experience and i don't understand what their motivation for destroying fletcher on camera was no one in the public eye knows who he is this benefits nobody I think you're right. There are loads of reasons why it was a, a a a bold choice and probably rightly one that we should criticize because it is it is something that definitely has modern day reflections. I can see, given the structure of corporate LA and the cult of personality around these people and the fact that Fletcher is visibly different from humanity, I can see what they gain from it. In the same way that I can see why terrorists like to live stream things like this. Because, yes, it is horrific and it's not something any reasonable person should do. And although, like, I know I argued superficially that the corporations were good because they saved the planet earlier. I don't ultimately think that of them. They, They aren't good people. But I can see why, particularly if you were, like, a former slave of an entity that controlled your mind you would want to enact violence against them in retribution, but you might also want to share that with your entire planet and promote a wave of essentially anti-alien violence because it would serve both you and support your power structure, but also would make it much more likely that if there were any other aliens around, you would be inciting violence against them, which, given that you have reasonable grievances with them that have been blown out of proportion i can see why that would be something you would try and do because i can see the twisted logic in doing this will cause people to hurt more people that i hate and want to be hurt that's evil twisted logic but i can follow it i also feel that uh kylan is trying to reestablish some of the control that he had as a member of corporate la that they lost during the measure z vote so this is a power play trend bring the rest of humanity under their control a little bit again either through fear or through praise that they eliminated this threat that nobody knew about i think it's also a way of demonstrating to all the other fletcher clones out there who wouldn't have been um at this location that fletcher is indeed dead arguably as a fletcher clone wouldn't you feel that happening Maybe I think, but like I, I understand, yeah. there are some good counterpoints. But on a complete, and I un- like, like we've said, like I can now understand from Kato's perspective why they actually gained something from it. I'm still viscerally upset with it on a completely personal yeah. level. But- oh yeah, like 
totally oh, valid. I, I fully yeah. support yeah, that like, reaction. Like, I think that's very reasonable. It's still a horrible yeah. event of film. Yeah, I think yeah. broadcast life. It felt like that was a moment that was meant to be in front of the C6, not in front of the world, if that makes sense. But he used it to tell everybody that C6 yeah. were dead. So I think potentially there there could have been another episode where they did the stuff with Tails, then realized that they had Fletcher. Regardless, that's not going to happen because it's the last episode of the season. Bit of a, uh, a rough sticking point for the end of the episode and the end of the season, which from overall perspective, I really loved. I do want to say, like, I think it is partly a reflection of just the pace that Cluster 6 has had to have compared with Star Trek, compared with Shield of Tomorrow even, that this kind of thing, where in Star Trek I maybe would have felt more comfortable that they would, if this kind of thing were brought up, it would be brought up and then explored and then would be like a proper reasonable debrief around why this is bad, the ways in which it's bad, the damage that it has, um, and would be treated with that kind of respect in some ways. I feel like in this episode, there wasn't the space for that around this moment of broadcasting a murder, and I think it needs that. It is such a sensitive topic. It is such a sensitive thing. It is so reflected in the world that we live in right now. I really felt that well, I would never say you can't use it. I think if you don't have the space to explore it properly, like they didn't here, it's a, a choice to use it in that way and a, a one that I would criticise just from the point of view of not being able to properly give that what it needs as far as background and perspective. Hmm. It highlights one of the cons of this hard out that they have, not only with the time slot, but with the, the seasons. It's so good in other ways, but in in these ways, as far as when we're trying to pick apart these big ethical conundrums, which Eric loves to throw into his games, it it gives us a little bit of pause because we don't have as much time to explore it properly. I think that's a good good segue into discussing, I think, season two as a whole. This season finale has a bit of other connotations. At this point in time... We have no confirmation of a season three. And I think there is a little bit of a fear in a lot of people, especially in the fandom, that we're not going to get anymore. And I think that this is not the season finale, not the show finale that C6 deserves. Yeah, this feels a lot like the way that the show Scorpion on CBS ended. Uh, it ended with a big, like, big old cliffhanger uh, at the end of season four that would have been explored in season five, but the show got canceled in the end. So it leaves us a little bit unsatisfied as far as a full, with all the tendrils that are, with all the plot lines and plot threads that are still left dangling. I suspect Eric has been put put in a really tough position given that we can extrapolate from the fact that we don't have any news to share and the fact that Eric and the cast have been very clear about if they did have news to share, they would share it with us. That even they don't know the answer to the question of whether or not C6 will return. And I think it is very hard when you don't know whether or not a show is going to end at this moment or be continued to balance between setting up future plot lines in a way that feels like there can be continuity between seasons and also giving everyone a satisfying conclusion to the characters and their arc and the plot that you've established so far. And I think that Eric is so good at building long storylines, he just could not have wrapped everything up in this episode. And it would have felt rushed if he had tried to do that. There's just, there's never enough time. Mm, but I do think, 
while I don't blame Eric for that, I do think it's reasonable to say this isn't a satisfying conclusion to the story. I I wholeheartedly agree. Definitely needs a third season. Mm -hmm. I think particularly just in terms of how much of this episode ultimately comes down to Eric telling a story that the players uncover versus the players making any active decisions, I find it quite unsatisfying just purely on those terms. Because the acquisition of the new powers, the death of Fletcher, really a huge amount of the end of this show and the resolution of this episode involved no actual player choice at all. They were very passive. And I think offering them the choice of whether or not to open the canister would be just one way to give them a little bit more of an active role, which would have maybe somewhat addressed my concerns as far as the fact that it it felt like Eric was telling a story at them rather than letting them create a story with him in this finale. And I understand there's so much pressure and I understand why he struggled to do that. I just was frustrated by it. Yeah, I there's a lot that I wasn't a fan of in this finale, but I think for season two as a whole, I did really enjoy. And I think there's mm-hmm. a few major things that led to that. And I think one of the biggest things is the character-focused episodes. Yeah, the spotlights were really, really great. It gave us more insight into the Callisto 6 uh, and these characters. Uh, and also gave us a, a broader depth into the world. They were each a little fantastic gem there, all by themselves. You could pl- pluck each one out, watch them individually, and they they just they were just just so well done. I think. I think technically as well, it was just a more enjoyable show to watch in terms of the lighting, the sound, like in terms of the surrounding stuff. Oh yeah, the production it around really, it. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, it was such a huge growth from the previous season, which was quite dark and quite hard to watch in a lot of ways. It, and I mean that in, in a very literal production sense, it was dark and hard to watch. the The evolution of the tech this season has been really impressive and has made me think about on these sort of broadcast RPG shows what we can and can't do to push the boundaries in different directions. And I think, particularly, kind of given this whole season during which we've had the loss of Alpha. There's a lot to talk about just in terms of the ways that different shows move the medium as a whole forward. And I think like Critical Role is a great example of a show that is very basic in terms of production and in terms of what they do and don't have and kind of what they do and don't offer. And comparing and contrasting something like this where there's loads of lighting integration and it really feels like there's a lot of really responsive sort of production elements in terms of lighting and sound input that can bridge the gap between really straightforward low-tech RPG show to something very produced like Sagas of Sundry or Relics and Rarities and so I really liked kind of seeing how even static shows can have those elements really effectively built in. I would probably say more less active production than low-tech because I've seen the budget for the gear that CR uses and it is not low-tech. Yeah so yeah i I, I mean that purely from the point of view of, like, they are lit in one particular way. They are pretty much always lit like that. They they sit in those places. There are only so many camera angles. The lighting, like, remains more or less the same. And whether or not they have a map, those are the things that exist. Those are the elements. They don't have, for example, when there's a fireworks scene, different lights flashing on and off to represent the fireworks. 
Yeah, they experimented very, very briefly with some colored lights, some hue lights, but I think they went away from it because it was a little too much to manage because Matt was controlling it. I think you compare, like, to make a different reference, Avengers Age of Ultron to Thor Ragnarok. I do know what you're saying. Something that stays very within the bounds of what it does, and then something that completely breaks convention. I... I, I really don't like that as an analogy because I don't think this breaks convention. It doesn't in break convention. What, what it does something interesting and new and it experiments. I like I, I I don't know enough about film to really understand the criticism that you're making there. Um, but I would say like I don't want this to be read as a knock on Critical Role. No, I think no, Critical no. Role is like incredibly successful at doing what is essentially just a basic thing, mm. and they do it basically very well. And they don't need to experiment or innovate because they more or less own the market. Like there is no reason for them to change up what they do. And like you see that in the way that Critical Role as a production company is not doing more RPG stuff. It's literally just doing other stuff where you get to see the the cast of Critical Role do other stuff. Hmm. Whereas Geek and Sundry has to experiment in terms of what other types of RPG show work. What other ways of making and producing an RPG show work. What is and isn't successful. How, how can we make a product that is different from the product that inevitably owns the market share of RPG experience, which is Critical Role. And, like, doing stuff like lighting changes and doing stuff like a bit more production, close-ups. Live stream special effects. Yeah, like, live stream special effects. That is something that is pushing the entire medium forward in an interesting way. Yeah, it was really awesome. Yeah, it just... Why does everything have to become a competition? Why do I... Constantly get Rose being critical of shit that I'm not. It really shouldn't be a competition. They are two separate things. It's because humanity and is they're a competitive still... race. Like <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not your fault. That's just humanity. So I think if we make the assumption that we are going to get some more, and I really hope that we do, there are some things I would I'm desperate to happen in season three. Well, I'd also like to say that one of the the, the good things, even with the character-specific, that the character-centric episodes, still overall we had more progression on the, the basically overarching the meta plot for Callisto 6. Maybe it went a little... I, I might have gone a little too far at the end. I think they could have just sort of left it. I think Eric could have left it as a cliffhanger with just Fletcher... Uh, uh, Kylan Krauss, corporate Krauss, coming on the screen and and starting to talk, but not finish everything that was going on. I think that might have been a little better one as a cliffhanger for two to three. But I did like the progression. You know, the, hey, they went to the you know they they went to the moon. They planned things out. It moved a lot more forward than season one, but season one is very much also trying to set up the feel and setting up the pieces season two is very much that's when you start really moving the pieces around and it did well with that or like i said it might it might have been one move too many at the very end i think but then you risk not having a climax at all for the season well i mean my climax the, the, the one i was suggesting was just having corporate kylan show up on screen have the appearance of the Fletcher entity then cut it off Th- that's where it would have been the cliffhanger that's that's just me I I would have ended it there 
Because then, oh, now we know what the face of that big bad we've been dealing with finally looks like. That's a big drop. Potentially, yeah. I think particularly given that we just physically do not know if there's going to be another season. Yeah, unfortunately, think, yeah. Like, it, for all that Eric is very good at cliffhangers, what we have at the moment is a great mix of not knowing where the plot is going to take us for season three and having lots of great questions about what will out- come out of it, while also more or less having a re- resolution to the central question of the season. The central question of the season being, will the Earth be destroyed by an interdimensional alien? And we can, with a reasonable level of, cer- level of certainty, if we got no more Callisto 6, we'd be like, oh, the corporations sorted it out in their own incredibly messed up way, but they sorted it out. Like, we do have a resolution to the season plot. There's more to find out, but I think it correctly balances that with not resolving us at all, because I think not giving us any resolution at all is way worse, particularly if we don't get any more. Yeah, exactly. So I think hopes and dreams for season three include the thing we were talking about last episode, which is all of the press going buck wild, because now they just have so much. I, in, in some ways, it is really unhelpful that Kylan has declared the Cluster 6 dead, because, you know... Now, I guess, they don't have to worry about the press. They could just not. They could create entirely new identities for themselves. They could try that whole secret identity thing we've been plugging for a while. But we, we both know they're not. We both know they won't. Stranger things have happened. That's true. Like, in some ways, the press shoe just doesn't need to drop at all because mm. of what Kylan has done. They can stay on the moon. They're not. I mean, they could stay on the moon. They could, they could stay on the moon. Be pretty boring just on the moon. Desmond, the moon bear. Well, considering that the moon base is destroyed now, that might be a little bit disadvantageous. They can survive in the vacuum Parts space. Of it. They're fine. They're I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about co- Cobalt, though. As to... Oh man, Cobalt's ruined. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm yeah. hoping he's, the shuttle's he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> If, if they, if, oh if, man, if the ain't okay, that's then a sick burn if back. I've ever heard one. You had to start with Dragon Ball Z because I almost dropped when uh, we were talking when we talked about the training for Cobalt. I almost said Oya was basically acting as the hyperbolic time chamber for Cobalt. Mm. <laughs> Just as a note, I hate Dragon Ball <laughs> so much, but yes, Dragon Ball things. Regardless, now knowing all of our heroes have been juiced, I really want to know what they can do now. Does Anton have theoretical punchy laser beams, like we discussed earlier in the season? We can hope so. Can Cass fly now? I mean, yes. Empirically, yes. Well, technically technically that was hovering. Um, okay. To what level can Cass fly? Okay, but like, sorry, but... The distinction between the ability to propel yourself upwards and then stay there and the ability to fly is nebulous at best because, like, if you can keep yourself statically above ground, you should be able to propel yourself forwards and backwards. Even if what you have is gravitational control, you could drop gravitational control in front of you and increase it behind you and that would allow you to move in a vector laterally. And that is functionally flight. The mechanics of how you achieve it are different but it works out the same as flight. Cass is Superman. Yeah, it's either Superman or uh, it's Talbot from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. 
And I think at this point, I believe hops can now shoot lightning. Assuming that their powers, like, because cats can fly, right? And yeah. nothing in looks for trouble enables you to fly. So there is no reason to assume that all of them have pure focus abilities rather than extra foci abilities. That's fair. Does does Hops finally have an AoE attack? I think she does, does anyone finally have an AoE attack? Finally. <laughs> and I think with I'm very curious as to what's gonna happen with Lacey, who has planetary level connections to all technologies as to where you can go with that to make it more powerful. I'm terrified, but excited. And also with Luma, who I assume can now shapeshift into all sorts of nonsense. Like maybe inanimate things. Oh, that feature is she's she's gonna become the polymorph from Red Dwarf. Yeah. Just hopefully without the emotion draining thing. We had to wait until after Shield of Tomorrow to get our changeling. Yeah. Well, I mean she was already a changeling. <laughs> yeah. But I mean completely because remember changelings could go to animals and inanimate objects. That's true. This is true. What I want now is for Luma to jump and in midair turn into a massive sword that Cass can grab and use. <laughs> <laughs> and we get full anime. And I'm so down for this. And also Oya, like, it's just just what, what is Oya going to be able to do? It's going to break time. Oya was already pretty powerful even at the lower tier. Now, where is Oya going to sit in this whole situation? She'll have such incredible control over time, she'll be able to set the clock on my microwave. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect control. And I think that's also the potential villains for season three. We obviously have the horsemen, or the three horsemen, if we assume that the fourth has either been killed or has abandoned the group, and the fallout from the CX-6 bomb, which we never really got. Yeah, I'd like to... That's that's one thing I'd like to see them sort of deal with more is that fallout. Do we get new heroes? Do you get new villains? Do you just get people who have powers that they can't control and they accidentally cause havoc? There's so much that they could do with that that setup. And, it, it, you know, the, the direction went a little different. I hope that they sort of go back to that if we do get a season three. Because I'd like to see the fallout of what happened with the C630 bomb. Actually, that was what? was That That was the end of season one, wasn't it? That was the end of season one. Yes, we didn't see yeah, any, so we had a whole season where that wasn't, you know, because the story went a different direction. We haven't really gotten into that aspect of it. I'd like to see them if they do announce a season three. I hope that they do start looking into that and they start setting up situations where, hey, they, they come across a villain, someone who has powers, and then they find out, oh, it was because of the explosion. Mm. It has been foreshadowed. Like, we have had a mention of more super-powered people than just um, the C6 in the wake of that explosion. So, the setup is there. It's just the payoff. Exactly. Yeah, that's it's like we have this. We've had the setup. I just I hope season three we start getting some of the payoff. We need our more humans, but of course more data required. I think we've needed so much more data this season. We need to invite Brent Spiner on. 
I, I think that is the perfect way to end. <laughs> <laughs> I think ultimately at the moment, the thing that I would most compare this show to is Heroes. Yeah. Because the plot is really interesting and the characters I love and, and then just execution-wise, I'm like, oh, this is not, not, as, not as awesome as it could be. And I feel like that is way more of a drag than I necessarily intended, but I really liked Heroes. Hey, I, I love Heroes. But I more or less only remember watching the first two seasons of Heroes, so it would be really, really on brand for the thing that I think of as the new Heroes to end uh, now. Yeah, the first two seasons were only the ones you have to see. <laughs> we need to have a gap. And No, hey, I am a staunch defender of season four. Season four was good TV. I'll have to take your word for it because I did not see it. You should watch it because it brings in a circus of people with powers and it's awesome. I don't like circuses. I, the whole point it was, was like it's a place where people with powers who did get accepted by society come together and it was really cool and it was all about family and like I really like that narrative. But they were And with that, time. you can follow the Raft City Radio podcast on Twitter at Callisto6pod or email <laughs> us at raftcityradio at gmail.com. You can subscribe sorry. to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. And we would and gladly we would appreciate gladly... it if you decide to leave a rating or write a review. <laughs> Thank you for listening and stay tuned to this frequency. <laughs> The music that we use is... Yes. <laughs> You're all terrible. Yeah, we now have a Patreon I'm and a coffee. Go there. I'm really sorry, Ash. Your show notes, just go to the fucking website. <laughs> doesn't matter anymore, because apparently I'm not important. Catch us for season three, folks. <laughs> Mitch, you did talk over Az for a bit of that, so you do have to retake it. No, I think at least Az is, because that was just... Uh, no, that's staying in completely, <laughs> completely as is. The show notes yeah. this episode can be found at rossyrand.com. No, 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 no. no I, we're leaving. That's it. The no, show notes are just go I, to the fucking website. Uh, no, End of season. Because I feel really bad if this is the last episode we do about this show. I feel like there is just so much it has contributed. Like, it, it is actually really important and it's done a lot of really good stuff and it has changed lives and improved lives. And I feel like. We could be professional for the last five minutes of us talking about it, potentially. Maybe. Because we adore this show so very much. Such a wonderful show. And we appreciate every moment we've had with it. Don't make me emotional. And we eagerly await season three and hope that it happens. If it does not, every member of the cast has our support and our love. And and they have made the internet a better place yeah, absolutely grateful for the, these two seasons yeah we th- definitely appreciate all the hard work that went into creating an original setting like i said we want to see more of it we hope we get a season three but if not thank you eric and sam for creating this world and everybody bringing life to it can we quickly, I think we should we should thank every one of the cast by name and we should also mention the names of the three tech people that Eric shouted out last episode because like, we do genuinely feel that, right? Yeah, so I think in order we have, not in, in, in any order, Master of Games, Eric Campbell, you are amazing and we love you, thank you. Cass, Amy Dallin, you beautiful creature, we love you, thank you. You beautiful tropical fish. You beautiful tropical fish. Amy Dallin. Our internet sensation. Internet sensation, Amy Dallin. Hector Navarro, you wonderful nerd. I love you very much. We all do. Thank you. Bonnie Gordon, the wonderful Hops, Lightning Menace. I I love Hops a lot, and I love Bonnie a lot, 
I love all these people a lot. I appreciate that. Please stop saying it like you're trying to propose to each person. I want to propose <laughs> to these people. <laughs> Let I'm me propose. Here. I respect that. Yeah, we have Sam DeLev, co-creator of the world, a lot of, filled in a lot of the blanks of the world in which Close Six is set. Wonderful, amazing human being. We thank them so much for their work, both on screen as Lacey and off screen, helping to bring this game to life for all of us. Eliza Pearl, our amazing feels monster and uh, time lord as Oya, uh, able to show just what she can do and not just be the emotion- emotionless Vulcan that we have seen. Well, not really emotionless. But- <laughs> <laughs> so valid. That's fair. Yeah. And then we have Gina DeVivo, this amazing, fun, vivacious person who just brings joy to every game that they play, whether it be Close to Six. That we appreciate all that energy that she brings to the table and shares with all of us. And then we had behind the table. Behind the cameras. Denise and Cliff, the producing team. And Holly, who was the tech master. Uh, and no and doubt, if there's oh, other people. Yeah, I mean, and no doubt a whole bunch of other people. Do we have names for any of the other people, Mitch? Uh, I I don't know off the top of my head, unfortunately. Yeah, so... Uh, we should think uh, definitely Denova, Devin Kolb. Mm, the mod leader. Uh, who handles all the social... Yeah, the mod leader. Sax, obviously. We are limited by our, our lack of knowledge about all of the people that made the show possible, but anyone who in any capacity contributed to constructing the show behind the scenes, we do really appreciate it. We have been marvelling at the work that has gone into it. These last two seasons, we have been marvelling at the results. Mm, definitely. And there's also shout-outs to Xander, uh, to Talison, to Mark... And to Marquia for being those extra faces in the crowd and really filling out the world. And Invisible Matt Key, the walk-on bit. And Invisible Matt Key. That never happened. Kay Kona Kamison. I think to everyone involved with C6, thank you. And with that, you can follow the Raft City Radio podcast on Twitter, at Callisto6Pod, or email us at RaftCityRadio.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, and we would gladly appreciate it if you decide to leave a rating or write a review. We now have a Patreon and a coffee. Links to both can be found on Twitter. Support us on Patreon for early access to our episodes and for bonus content. Our show notes for this episode can be located at www.rustityradio.com forward slash episode forward slash 2 12. Our theme song is Cephalopod by Kevin MacLeod, and you can find his work at incompetech.com. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned to this frequency. Thank you.